Welcome to episode 14 of the Made For More podcast. Today, I have a guest with me, Ralph Peterson, who is the owner and operator of a management development company that helps mission-driven organizations dramatically increase profitability, improve efficiency, and grow their companies by building five-star leaderships teams. He is also the number one best-selling author, a professional keynote speaker, and a highly sought-after management development coach. Ralph has more than 20 years of experience in the trenches of senior management, organizational development, and human resources. He lives in New York City, and when we were recording this episode, it was actually 4 a.m. US time. Ralph is also a retired US Marine, an avid marathoner, and he recently earned the title of Ironman. And I hope you enjoy today's episode where Ralph and I talk all about leadership and how to become a better leader. If you want to check out the show notes, you can do that at madeformore.com.au forward slash one four or 14. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. I am very excited to be meeting with a fellow leadership expert across the way, across the sea. And today I am meeting with Ralph Peterson. So welcome and thank you for your time today, Ralph. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's going to be fun. It is. And uh, just before I hit record, Ralph has kicked off his day at 4am his time uh, to allow us to meet. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. Uh, But before we get too far, can you tell me a little bit about where you have come from and where you're going? Absolutely. I, well, let me just kind of first tell you where I'm going. I think it might be a little better is that I am a management development coach, much like yourself. And when you get into the big question I always get when, when people find out that I'm a management development coach, they always want to know, A, what is that? And then B, <laughs> it's not the best title to describe what it is that we do. And then B, how does somebody get into it? And quite honestly, I think you get into this field like you get into anything else. And that is, you know, ask backwards. You don't intend it. You didn't see it coming. And, and that's just how it is. Absolutely. I was, I, I've been, I got hired. I got my first promotion when I was 16 to become a manager, a foreman, a job foreman, doing landscaping. And I was terrible at it. I lost that job in about eight minutes, like world record time. <laughs> Being a manager went straight to my head. Like I oh. literally thought I was better than everybody else and I could boss everyone around. And, and although I lost that job very, very quickly, I, I gotta tell you, I was, I was bitten by the wonderful romanticizing feeling of being in charge of being a manager of having that title that i have always ever since that day wanted to be in charge i take charge it doesn't matter if i'm supposed to if i'm not supposed to (laughs) i love it i love it 
And so I've always, I've always gravitated towards leadership. I, I got, you know, I would, I would get done at one job or I would get fired at one job and the next job I would get, I would, I wouldn't be there very long before I was trying to figure out how to get to the assistant manager position and then get to this shift's position that, you know, just yeah. always just trying to figure out how to get into the management position. It wasn't until about 10 years later, I got, I started working for a company that was a management company and they're growing by leaps and bounds. And, and I was, I was really into it and it was in working in healthcare. And it was the first time that I had to, I had grown from manager to a district manager or a manager of managers. Mm, and I had to, it, uh, oh my gosh, it was so challenging because now I had to hire, train and recruit managers. And, you know, of course, nobody is like me. And so nobody's just coming out you know, wanted to be a manager. I've, I'm trying to talk people into being a manager. I'm, <laughs> There's this misconception as well that by the time you're managing managers, managers should know what they're doing, but that's more often than not, that's not the case. <laughs> it really isn't. And so I, I started having a weekly meeting with my management team. I had eight managers under me and Every Wednesday night, we would meet in this nursing home. This tiny little nursing home had a conference room in the basement of this nursing home. So every Wednesday night was the only time that conference room was free. We would, every Wednesday night from like 6 to 7 o'clock, we would go down and we would just talk about management. And I would try to explain and, you know, this is how you talk to people. This is how you do You know, I don't have to tell you, Allie, our job is to have difficult conversations with difficult people. And that yeah. is a challenge when you're brand new in management. I mean, it's the, yep. the last thing we want to do. So for months, I'm in this basement talking to these brand new managers of mine, people I'm trying to cajole into management. And what I didn't know is the guy who owned the nursing home owned a bunch of them. And so every night he would be in a different nursing home. And it turns out every Wednesday night, he was in that nursing home listening to me ah. sure and talk about management of my team. So a couple months in, he asked me to come meet with him and I thought I was in trouble. I was like, Oh, here we go. I go in and I meet with him and he said, I've been listening to you for, you know, eight weeks now, every Wednesday night. Is this what you do for a living? Like, what exactly do you do? And I was like, no, I manage this other part, but I need to recruit managers. And so I'm always, he's like, I need you to start managing training my managers. Ah, awesome. And that's how organically how it happened. I was like, really? He's like, absolutely. Nobody's, nobody's talking like you're talking. Nobody's explaining like they're explaining. And, before you know it, I had a, you know, a whiteboard and, <laughs> and I mean, and that's pretty much the official, like the official role, isn't it? Once you've got a whiteboard, you're set, you're it. That's that, legit. Yeah. A million percent, a million percent. <laughs> yeah. A whiteboard is it. That is an amazing, amazing transgression from, from one step to the next. And I can certainly, you know, when you're explaining, you know, getting into your first management role when you were 16, I have a very, very similar story that I joke about. As well, I used to work at Bilo, which is like a shopping center uh, or like a grocery store here, but it was like the black and gold brand, so home brand. And I was managing the front end of the shopping center before I was old enough to sell cigarettes. So then I had to ask my team who were old enough to sell cigarettes to sell it to the customers because I wasn't old enough to do it. And uh, yes, also had a baptism of fire a few years later into a very difficult uh, workplace that ended up being, you know, 
difficult conversation after difficult conversation with difficult people in difficult circumstances. And, you know, if it doesn't kill us, it makes us stronger. And that is certainly the case for me. So I love that. Uh, So tell me a little bit about how, you know, how you've gone from managing and and leading these leaders within that organization to going and doing what you're doing now. And uh, do you work with just one organization or across and how, and how do you work with them? Yes. No, I work with anybody who is interested in becoming in charge. And so organizations hire me to meet with their leadership team. And every time, and you know what, it was just brought up to me because I, I kind of do it and I didn't even realize I was doing it because it wasn't like a selling pitch of mine. But every time a company would say, hey, I want you to come in and meet with my managers or my supervisors and you know, show them, give them like a one-day seminar or two-day seminar, mm-hmm. I am always saying, Where, when are your, are your assistant managers going to be in? Are mm-hmm. you going to open it up to people who are just interested in leadership who maybe yeah. want to grow later? Yeah. And it was just, I was just having a conversation with a client. And he said, you always do that. You always want to include everybody who is interested in management. And I was like, you know, I guess I do it as a default. And the reason is because I wasn't, I wasn't, you don't get asked to attend or you're not allowed to attend leadership classes until you're a leader. Mm. And in my opinion, for me, that was way late. I should have, I, I should have had, I should have read the book, attended the seminar, had the talk before I took the leadership position. I would have been way more successful. And maybe decided you didn't like it on the other hand as well, you know? A million percent. The, the, so, so I speak to everybody and I'm always interested in first-time managers. I'm yep. People who become, who just get the leadership role. And the, and the statistics behind a first-time manager is staggering. Two-thirds fail mm. in the first 90 days. Mm. It's seven out of ten new managers, your super worker, somebody we just promoted into a leadership position, it's going to fail in 90 days. That's, that doesn't say a single thing, by the way, about that individual. Yep. It says everything about how we, you use the term baptism by fire. That is how we have, that's what we do to new managers. We take our super workers and we either work in the death. Oh, they'll always come in for us. And okay, so now they're working 24 seven, they can't do it for long. And so we're going to burn them out. Or we keep adding on, adding on, adding on to their to their payload to include management. And they we don't give them any training. And we treat, we literally treat our super workers as they're disposable. And here's the thing, they're not, there is so few super workers. Out there. Hence the need for managers, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think this is something that we don't talk about enough is that people that are the super workers, the natural career progression is for them to become leaders. And whilst they might have been a super worker at what they were doing in the past, leadership is a whole nother skill set that they have yet to develop if they haven't been, you know, had a seat at the table. And we kind of expect them because they're already on the A game at what they were doing previously or technically, we expect them to be on their A game at this completely different skill set without, you know, giving them the support that they need to be able to make that transition so tell me when you when you're saying you like to speak to anyone being in charge and one of your main drivers was that you wanted to you know always go to that next level of leadership what do you think it is that makes someone a good leader i have i have these five tiny little rules that i look for in managers and they're very simple and they're very simple basic they are 
a manager is going to be the type of person that doesn't walk by trash. And I got to tell you, most super workers are the type of people who don't walk by trash. It's very easy for somebody. That's how you get noticed, by the way, is you're the type of person who doesn't walk by trash, right? So that's an easy one. Right. My second rule is a manager always has to be on time. Yeah. Always. Can't be one minute late. Not one minute. It ruins everything. <laughs> rule number three, you have to dress professionally. As a matter of fact, you don't have, I, I use the word professionally, but let me, let me say it like this. A manager has to stand out. So I need to be able to see the manager with their team and be able to tell you're the manager. Yeah. In construction, it might mean a different color hard hat. Right. Right. But in an office, it might be a business suit. Mm-hmm. It might be a name tag, but there's got to be something that makes you stand out. I need, when I need help, I need to be able to find the manager. I need to be able to find the manager right away. So yeah. you got to stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Rule number four is you have to get all of your work done. Mm. You have to be a good worker. You cannot be a manager if you're not a good worker. Mm-hmm. Because you always have to be visible. Yeah. That's easy, right? That's no hiding in your office, no skipping out. Being available to help your team is super important. So those are easy, right? Five rules. So don't walk by trash, be on time, dress professionally, get your work done and be visible. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That those five rules are for everybody. Yes. You don't have to be in charge for that. Yeah. You want all your staff to be on time. You mm-hmm. want them all to dress appropriately. You want them mm-hmm. all to get their work done. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing I would say about managers, though. This is a little gut check to see if you're actually, if you have the ability to be a manager. Rule number one says you're not allowed to walk by trash. If you want to be a manager, you can't walk by trash and you can't pick it up. Oh, expand on that. Well, anybody can pick up trash. Anybody can walk around picking up trash. It takes a, per, a special person, a person who has the ability to be in charge. It's the person who makes other people pick up trash. <laughs> right. By influence. By direction. Yeah. Pick that up. Ah, very good. Yeah. And I got to tell you, this is where I lose a lot of people. A lot of people are like, oh, I would love to be in management. I'm like, absolutely. And I'll go through my five rules and I'll go, and you can't pick it up. And you can just see their heart sink. They're like, oh, I can't do it. I, ah. I wouldn't be able to tell people because think about what happens when you tell somebody when you're walking in your store or your shop in your office and you're walking and there's a, an employee standing there and over beside them, not very close, but not very far is a piece of trash. Yeah. You don't know who put the trash there, how long that piece of trash was there, what it's made of. You, know, you, you have no idea if it's wet, if it's sticky, if it's dry. We have no clue, right? We just see a piece of trash and we see a random employee. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, Hey, pick up that piece of trash. What's that employee going to do? Hopefully go and do it. No, no, they're not going to go do it. Uh, that's a, that'd be awesome. Um, Performance review time. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, they're going to push back. They're going to say, why should I? Yeah. They're going to say, I didn't put it there. They're going to say, won't you find the person who did instead of busting my chops? Mm, this sounds like my household actually at the moment. A million. <laughs> it's going to be pushback, pushback, pushback. And only a manager, an effective manager, is going to be able to push back against them and to get them to pick up trash. I have a whole, I have a whole training program on how to start getting managers to direct people to pick up trash. Like it, there's a process. It's not like just automatic. Mm. You go from, you know, 
I always pick up after my team to making my team pick up after themselves. Mm. It is a process, mm. but those are my, that's what I always look for. Your five rules to a checklist. I just wanted to ask about number four, which is get your work done. I was recently talking with a new leader and uh, they asked a very interesting question. They're like, well, you know, will my workload increase and uh, I was like well yeah probably probably until you get really good at delegating and then you know it's like an elastic you know workloads are elastic so can you talk a little bit around you know that transition because you said you love new managers that transition where they kind of go from you know a game worker to then leading a team how getting their work done and balancing managing their team you know the verse you may have heard working in the in the business versus working on the business how do you what do you recommend people do new leaders to get into that well, habit? well let's 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 unpack this a little bit as far as why don't new managers get their work done like what is the problem what gets in their way and you you touched on one of them which is there's a learning curve Mm. there there may be a new skill set that they have to learn a new report they have to generate a new software program they have to start working with that they didn't know how to do prior that's Mm -hmm. really true that's that's forgivable one of the two of the biggest problems that I run into with new managers when it comes to time management is number one, they stop paying attention to the clock. Once a lot of people treat a promotion like they won the lottery, like they never have to work again. Like now their job is to walk around and never have a, you know, their hands are never empty with a coffee or they, they they go out and smoke, you know, and, and they'll take 15 breaks and they now that nobody's, able to tell them what to do they take that freedom and they run with it and they don't do good things with it they do selfish things with it they do personal errands they're you know it, it gets yep. take it advantage gets silly. of the power yep it gets, that's one and that's fixable generally by counseling but the biggest one that's not because they're a bad worker is they have this concept of an open door policy <laughs> a new manager the, the romanticizing of an open door policy. It's so fantastic. Can you imagine going to a new team and you're saying, I'm the new manager here. And I just want to let you know that it's going to be really great working for me. You're going to love me. And that's because every manager wants to be loved. We all want to be heroes. I mean, that's the whole point of taking a leadership position is to be a hero, to be able to help somebody do something. It's super important to us. It doesn't matter what man who, what level of management you are, you want to be a hero. So let's just focus on that for a second. When you're brand new, not even brand new, I, I meet very experienced managers who have an open door policy. And it drives me a little insane because an open door policy does two things. First, it allows you to be interrupted. Mm. It allows you to be interrupted. Anybody can, if you have any problem, just come to, my door is always open. I, I want to, I get sick to my stomach when I hear somebody say that. And, but I understand their intention. Their yeah. intention is to say, I am available. Mm. I am always going to be available. And you can come to me about anything. You know, don't be afraid to tell me. I mean, you're a mom of four kids. You know, right? You want, to, you want your kids to be open and honest with you and be mm. able to tell you anything. And so you probably have said that to them since the day they were born. Yeah. Don't ever be afraid to tell mom. Yeah, I've also, <laughs> leave me alone. I just need some alone yeah. time. That is, that is, it's a noble thing that the new manager or that a manager says when they say, hey, I'm, you know, I, my door is open all the time. The, the problem with that is twofold. First, the interruption rate. 
it takes mm-hmm. on average, I think, 20 to 25 minutes to get back on task. If you are laser yeah. focused on a task and somebody interrupts you, it, yeah. and it could be your cell phone, it can yep. be a noisy email or a text message, it, that'll take your, your attention away from your task. And we're talking, you lose minutes, like 10, 20, 15, 20 minutes every time you're interrupted. And how many times you're interrupted with an open door? 10? That's a couple hours a day you're losing yeah. in productivity. No wonder you're not able to get your work done. Yeah. So that's, that's terrible. I recommend having office hours. And my office yeah. hours are generally like from 9.15 to 9.17, you know, only give them a couple minutes, no line, you know, it's funny. The, <laughs> but let me, tell you, let me tell you the number one reason why not to have an open door policy. The number one reason is because the manager's job is to go find the problems, not wait for the problems to come to them. You are yeah. legitimately hamstringing. You're, you're not, if, you're, if your management technique, if your management strategy is, I'm going to have an open door policy so that if anybody needs to see me, they'll, they'll come knock on my door. That is the most ridiculous problem-solving methodology ever. Because first of all, not everybody has access to your door. Mm-hmm. Not everybody works next to you. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can get mm-hmm. to you. Not mm-hmm. only that, but our job as managers part of our job is to ensure fairness across our team. Fairness is the glue. Fairness is the glue, by the way. That is what holds teams together. And the manager is the arbiter of fairness. If somebody is getting over on somebody else, if somebody is taking advantage of somebody else, if somebody has taken five breaks and everybody else only gets one break, that is not fair. And it is up to the manager. It is not up to the team. I have people all the time going, well, they never told me. They're not supposed to tell you. Right. Yeah. They don't. They, that's not how it works. They don't. This is some a little concept. They don't work for you. You work for them. Yes. Managers work for their team. Yeah. The team doesn't work for the manager. It manager's job to be able to go out there, assess what's going on proactively and solve problems. If you want problems come to you in the office, I'm guaranteeing you, you have a lot more haters than you should have out on the floor. A lot more people think, you know, well, if that person ever, that SOB ever got out of his office, you know, yeah, it's detrimental to your career. Get at, close the door. That's my advice. Close, <laughs> close the door and then leave the, leave the office and get out on the floor. A million percent. And I set a timer. So when I'm, my head's down and I'm working, I will yep. set a timer, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And I, I set a timer and I do nothing but what I'm doing. And then yep. I'm like, okay, time to get up and stretch up walking on the floor, meeting with people, making sure I see everybody. Yeah. It's super important. Part do you guys have, visual. do you guys have the app Waze? Waze. Waze. It's a GPS app. Oh, I mean. Thing I, in Australia. Not that I know of. What do you do with it? It's a GPS app for your phone. So it's like, uh, it tells you the directions. It tells you where you're going. You can put in an address where you're going somewhere. No, we just use but Google one of the, Maps. Yeah. Okay. So Google Maps. Yeah. So the Waze app, in addition to telling you where to go and how to get there, the fastest route, yeah, it also tells you where, like, there's road construction. Yes. Or if there's a pothole or if there's traffic buildup, it'll redirect you. Mm-hmm. So if you're, mm-hmm. you're intentionally going this way, but then it goes, yeah. all right, hey, the traffic is piling up in front of you. Take, get off the exit yeah. here He's and you'll around. get around it. Yep. And it also tells you where the police are. Oh, I don't think I was oh. that. 
Yeah, it'll tell you where the police are. Now that's fun. That's fun for the whole family. <laughs> so I, I was working with a police department. We were doing leadership training and we were talking about the Waze app. And I said, so how are you guys handling this notion that people now I know where you are? Yeah. And there was a police officer in the back of the room. He said that he absolutely loved it. Yeah. He said that he didn't realize it at first. At first, it was a real pain. He was still trying to hide. Yeah. Still trying to hide the cruiser so he could catch you speeding or doing something wrong. Yeah. He said, but with this new app, there's really no place to hide. As soon as you park somewhere, they identify you and they'll yeah. go, you're here. You know, the police officer's there. And what does everybody do when they know a police officer's there? Sam, yeah. yeah. They obey the rules. Yeah. And he goes, so now when I want to have a coffee, I'll grab my coffee, get in the cruiser, go park. I'll open the Waze app myself and check in. I'll be like, I'm right here. Before anybody else identifies, I'm going to identify myself because he now knows nobody's going to speed by him. Yeah. It's such a funny thing, but that is exactly what it's like in leadership. If you walk, if your modus operandi right now is to walk into your office or your building or your shop and you go right to your office and put your bag down and open up your emails and that's how you start your work, I'm Mm -hmm. going to challenge you to stop that. Yes. Instead. Don't even put your bag down. Don't take your coat off. Walk your building. Walk yeah. your store. Let everybody see you. Yeah. Of the bosses here, everybody starts doing, they slow down. They start doing what they're supposed to be doing. Their hands are at 10 and 2. <laughs> good circle back. I liked that. <laughs> Very good. I, I think that's so true. And I, I'm assuming that was part of your like be visible is actually, you know, being physically 100%. visible as well as, you know, having your eyes on your, on your team and what's going on and, you know, just like keeping in check, but then you're also showing that you're available in that way without having to be interrupted all the time. I hadn't realized that to get back on track, it was 20 to 25 minutes. That's fascinating and a little bit scary. Yeah. 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 It's a long time. Yeah. It is a yeah. long yeah. And worse, you know, I, and I can tell, you know, I could just read a report that some manager's written and I can tell that they've either, they've, they've closed the door and they hunkered down and they did a good job or they ended up having to bring it home and try to finish a report during, you know, during the commercial breaks of their favorite television show or yeah. while they're doing the laundry and chasing the yeah. kids and they're like, let me five more minutes and, uh, you know, and then the report comes out really crappy and you're like, who wrote this? You know, because they took it home. Started Not out a, strong and uh, it, Exactly. I'm not a big fan of taking work home. Don't yeah. take work home. Yeah. Good one. Except, you know, now it's a lot of paperwork. Well, yeah. <laughs> good segue. <laughs> now it's hard not to take work home. That's right. Now you want to like take it back to work. So we were talking about, you know, being visible, but how, what do you think leaders need to be doing now at the moment in this current situation where we've got people that are working remotely perhaps for the first time? I know in healthcare, it's a little bit different, um, but more generally where there's, you know, an office where a third of it or two thirds of it are now working from home and your team, you've got some in the office, you know, co-located with you so you can be visible, but then you've got others that are checking in via Slack or Teams or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever platform it happens to be. How are they, mm-hmm. how are they keeping visible? Well, I got to say uh, two things about that. And I, I'm going to say this and, and I want to preface it to say that I generally never talk to staff. I'm, yeah. I work with managers specifically, people who want to be in charge, who have an mm-hmm. inkling, an idea of a question about leadership. Yeah. It's generally who I ever work with. So I don't generally talk to staff a lot, but I got to say this. If you're a team member 
and you are now working remotely. Mm-hmm. It is no longer where you get a job and you can hang out because there's not a lot of work to do. And you're just, you know, as long as you're there, you're there. When yeah. you're working from home, you have to prove your worth. You have to make a difference. You have to show, you, you know, it's like doing arithmetic when grade school. You have to show your work. You can't, yeah. you can't just show, you show work, yeah. Yeah, you have to, you have, and you have to make work. You have to go make, there has to be some productivity coming from you. It's too easy. It's way too easy now. If I'm working from home and I have a remote team, it's way too easy for me to go, why do I have that person? Yeah, that's right. They've done nothing. Yep. And you know, you're costing me this much a day. Yep. And you've got nothing. Yeah. It is when, when we're at work, you can get lost. And I know you're here because I saw the card you punched in on. Yeah. So I know you're here. You must be doing something. When you're at home, that must be doing something is way too easy to see that you are or you are not. Yeah, so from a, from a, with peace and love, if you're a team member, make sure that you are putting output out there. You are busy. Like you have to put it in your boss's face. Look yeah. at what I made. Yeah. Look what I did. Yeah. Look, look, look. And the truth is we're looking. Yeah. As far as managers go, it is, it is putting the emphasis on, on something that is always overlooked anyway, and that is clear expectations. Clear expectations. You have to say, this is what we're doing. Not only clear expectations as far as you, you have to know day to day what your team is doing and, and how they can communicate with you and how they can report to you, but also just to go in line with that a little bit, tempering those expectations a little bit because just because we've all been went, went remote doesn't mean that we're still able to work in the same capacity with kids at home and office space and yeah. computers being shared among family members. Yeah. And it's, I think it's become a challenge. Speaking of kids, you might be able to hear mine at the moment. It is bedtime here. So I think, having those clear expectations and communicating those in a really clear way is, is certainly key to this phase that we're going through is, you know, and, and resetting them and reassessing them each time as well. If it's not working, why not? You know, is there a communication breakdown? Is there a capability breakdown? Have we not, you know, said the right things in the right way so that it's gone um, and gone and communicated it to our team? That's been amazing. So you talked a little bit about being a hero earlier and you've got a new book out that is a little bit like a hero. Can you tell me a little bit about your new book that is coming out? When's it out? In the middle of October. And so just a few weeks away and it's called The Good Manager, Being Great is Overrated. Love it. And it is broken up into three simple parts. So uh, number one, we just kind of went over, which is my five rules of managers. And Mm -hmm. that is how to be a good person. So if you want to be a good manager, you have to be a good person. You have to be the type of person who doesn't walk by trash. Love it. Right. You have to be the type of person who gets to work on time. You can't take advantage of people, but nobody's going to follow you if you're going to take advantage of people. Yeah. You know, what's funny is you touched on it a little bit earlier where just because you're a good worker doesn't mean you're going to make a good manager. Yes. I hear it all the time. Yeah. All the time people. And it's usually in a negative light. Well, you know, just because she's a good worker doesn't mean she's going to be a good manager. Let me just say this. Uh, I don't have any other choice. It's yeah. not like it's not like you can go, uh, hey, um, we need a new manager. You know who would be really good for it? That girl, she's not here today because she always calls out. She never gets her work done. But I think if you put her in a leadership position, she'd be way better. No, you cannot do that. <laughs> if you are ever interested in becoming a leader, 
being a good person, a, yeah. a reliable person is number one. It's, it's super, super important. The second point my book makes is about how to be good at being a manager. So yes. there is being a good person yeah. and there's being good at it. Managing is a skill. Yeah. It's like learning how to drive a car. There mm. are people who can, who can survive a car trip and there are people who can drive the heck out of a car, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Or learning how to ski. One of the best analogies I've ever heard is about skiing. There are people who ski down a mountain and then there are people who survive down a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely option B. And so being good at managing is, is something that makes you a really good manager. And by the way, there are these, there are these five, everything with me is five. There are these five golden rules of management and I'm sure you've heard of them. There are, and, and these are traps that every manager falls into. They are managers should choose their battles. Oof, heard that? Yep. Mm, you know, managers should choose their battles or, or a manager should always praise publicly and reprimand privately. Mm. A manager should never ask you to do something that they wouldn't do. Mm. A manager should treat people the way they want to be treated. Right. Right. These are, these are the five golden rules of management and yeah. they are, every one of them are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part two. Part two is how you, people get it wrong. Trying to follow the golden rules of management. Those golden rules will get you in more trouble. Yeah. Than you can imagine. Yeah. And then part three is don't be evil. Oh, I like how we've got you want to be a good manager part. Yeah. Don't you want to be a it? good manager. You have to be a good person. You have to be yep. good at managing and you can't be evil. Yeah. But I got to say, let me just add this little piece of this. The only reason why you should not be evil in management okay. is because it doesn't work. <laughs> if it worked, okay. I would have a different attitude towards it. Right. Like a bit of evil is necessary sometimes. No, no. Uh, I'm saying if being evil worked, if it was ah. a legit management tactic oh, yeah. and, and it got you anywhere, then yeah. I'd be all for it. Yeah. But it okay. doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. It, no, it does people. just the opposite. Yeah. It will, it'll set your entire team. Your entire team would rather suffer yeah. together in solidarity yeah. than to accept you, let you be evil to one of them. Yeah. So it doesn't work. Yeah, good. I think that's a good final tip to have in your book if you're going to be a good manager is not to be evil. Don't be evil. And then you've got the heroes. Does that, anyway, I'm, I'll get the book and, uh, and <laughs> read it, but I'm sure that ties into the superhero <laughs> and the villain somehow, does it? It certainly does. Yes, yes. absolutely. Oh, you, know, sorry, a you know, a superhero and a villain want the same thing. A villain oh, wants yeah. to be loved. Do they? Of course. I didn't know that. That's, I haven't been paying enough attention to the villains. Oh my gosh. The whole point is, is the reason that they're acting out is because they've been so spurged from oh. society. They are, they have not been liked. they have not been accepted and oh. they want to be the difference. The origin story difference between a villain and a superhero is a superhero turns out of figures out how to turn its awkwardness Mm -hmm. being able to see through things or run as you know the speed yeah. of a bullet yeah that awkwardness into positive whereas a villain has always used their awkwardness in, in a negative because they don't know how to use it for a positive but they both want <laughs> the same thing 
Right. They both want respect. They both want love and adoration. Yeah. They both want control. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have a bit more of a, a deep dive into some super villains. I've only been talking have... about the goodies in my house. We'll have to have a little talk about the baddies. But that's really interesting that you say that though around, you know, about how people want the love and respect. Cause I do, I'm sure you've heard of Brené Brown. You would have in, in our field. And I, I talk a lot about shame shields and how that is often what is, I guess the cause of a lot of poor behavior is people are, you know, feeling embarrassed, insecure, the imposter syndrome. And uh, I think that would probably be similar to the villain. What you're saying there with villains is they've got all these skills. They just don't know how to show it in a a kind and loving way. Yeah. A million percent, a million percent. And, and again, just to, just to reiterate the, the power of the manager. Yeah. It's our, it's up to us to, see that stuff and see it going on and to help people overcome it. Not for an, and again, not for an altruistic reason. Mm. I'm not trying to save the world. I'm really Mm. not trying to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Whether whether it's a product we're producing or a service we're, 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 we're giving that's the job of the manager is to see the the organization's mission from beginning Mm. to end Mm -hmm. on a day to day basis. Yep. Beginning and end, beginning and end, beginning and end. And yeah. I think we should use, we have to use every tool at our disposal to get the job done. If you're, if you're going to hire a team to do one day, like you need to, you're going to pick up people to help dig a hole one day, mm-hmm. you can probably treat them cursely. Yeah. You probably don't have to be very patient with anybody. Yeah. Heck, the more money you're paying them, the worse you can treat them. Bigger, bigger hole you can get. Of course, I, the, the better the job, the worse you can treat them. Yeah. My first job, my first job, my first book's called Managing When No One Wants to Work. And, and I make this yeah. whole point that if you're in a field that people would, you know, have studied for and worked their whole lives to work in, you could treat them a lot worse than, you could, than somebody who just took the job because they needed the job and they don't like the job and they don't like what mm-hmm. they're doing and it's not a very glorious job. You can't treat them terribly. Yeah. Right. That's so you, you have to know that there's a longevity in management. And so the way you treat people matters because it, yeah. you're, you're not hiring people for one day. Yeah. You need that that's repeatable. You need them to come back the day after day after day after day, five days a week for the rest yeah. of their life, hopefully, to keep yeah, helping well. you produce this service or product. Yeah. And that's what a yeah. manager's job is. Yeah, absolutely. That retention. This has been amazing. I'm very excited for your book when it comes out. Before we finish up today, what is your top five tips for up and coming managers? And I know you'll like this because it's five, but we've talked about your five rules that's part of your book. What would be outside of that your top five? Well, those are my top five outside of that. That's interesting. I- should, we re- should we reframe it? What would be your top five tips if you're a manager looking to go to that next level of management where you're managing managers, that transition from managing staff to managing managers. Yeah. The, 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 well, I got to say this, that there's such a shortage of managers Mm. in the entire world and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It Mm. could be government. It could be religion. It could be the community. It could be the, the grocery. It could be, the factory, there's so little people that want to step up into a leadership role mm-hmm. that it is super easy to get promoted. Yeah. The only thing you have to do is get over yourself. Yeah. 
can't, <laughs> uh, you know, it can't be about you. It can't yeah. be about you. So yeah. I would say, I would say that, you know, it's fun is because you're in Australia. I'm sure you know this, but yeah, have you ever seen a black swan? Yes. Yeah, of course you have, because you're in Australia. It, you know that prior to eight or prior to 1693, nobody in the Western world had ever seen or heard of a black swan. No, I didn't know that. Nobody knew black swans existed. As a matter of fact, it was written quite extensively prior to that time about how white swans were as pure as snow, as they, you know, they, everything was about how beautiful and wonderful and majestic white swans are. Mm. And the, the church even came out and the Bible even speaks of white swans and how beautiful and pure they are. And so nobody believed there was anything other than white swans. Then this guy doing this researcher explorer goes on the Western side of Australia, the Spanish mm -hmm. explorer, mm -hmm. and he sees black swans. What the heck? And he's amazed. So yeah. he grabs some black swans and he brings them back to Europe and it shifted everyone's belief. Like everybody believed the church a hundred years prior to this happening. They literally burned a guy alive at the stake because he said that the earth went around the sun when the church was saying the sun went around the earth, right? Like yeah. it was, yeah, it was they were serious. saying that the earth yeah. was the center of the, of the universe. And the other guy was like, I think the sun's the universe, center of the universe. Mm. And they're like, heresy, you know, and they burned him at the stake. A <laughs> hundred years later, it's not funny. this, <laughs> this guy had proof yeah. that the church was wrong. Yeah. Proof. And, and black and the, Yeah. In black, it changed everything. People started to really question. And this, by the way, is, early 1700s this is right at the cusp of the enlightened era and the enlightened era in human history is when the church and science start to separate and they mm. become two things because up until this point the church has been anytime you have a question of why anything scientific happens why a volcano goes off why it rains why it snows why mm -hmm. it gets hot the church had a reason yeah. it's this god it's that god it's this you've done it's that you've done to all of a sudden wait a minute that's not true you didn't even know black swans existed yeah right so it was this huge shift in thinking and i think it's that type of mag nag that huge understanding that there is the way you see things now mm. is not how you need to see them when you're in charge mm -hmm. so yes. if you're and, and that's why i was going over my five the idea that you should treat people the way you want to be treated that's mm -hmm. a management tactic people believe that it's yeah. not true yeah and you have to get over that as a new manager. You go like, no, I, I'm going to pick up the trash on the floor because I, I was told never to ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to pick up trash. Well, that's not managing. That's being mm -hmm. a good person. Yeah. If you want to be a good person, fine. If you want to be a good manager, you can't pick up trash anymore. You have to mm -hmm. make them do it. Mm -hmm. It's a whole mind shift. And so that's what I think if you're going to focus on how to become a go from a super worker to a supervisor. That's what yep. you have to Ooh. focus on. Super worker to supervisor. I like that. Mm. That could be the next one. Very good. Well, thank you. I uh, had no idea about those black swans. I'll have to, I have to Google that. And... I have one here. Here we go. Is that black oh, swan? is that what prompted yeah. the story? It's beautiful. Yeah. And then I have a white swan. Oh, Isn't that funny too? Is that a white swan and a black swan? You could almost say a black swan is a little uglier than a white swan. It and, is a little that's bit, what, isn't it? and that's what it's like in management. 
you know, the idea of being in charge is way prettier than what it is actually being in charge. Yeah. Different perspective. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ralph. This has been awesome. And I'm sure uh, our listeners will be pulling out all sorts of gold nuggets. Good luck with the book launch. And uh, I'll add some links in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.